0: Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith.
1: Good evening, everybody. It is that time of week once again. Tom and Keith are with you, at least Tom is anyway. Keith is on the road these days following the attraction that is Florida State basketball, and he's actually with us as well as we get started on the front row. Thanks for tuning in, and via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together, we say hello to KJ. Keith, how are you?
2: Doing well, doing well. Up in Atlanta, getting ready for a tip in just a little bit, and uh, Florida State taking
1: on Georgia Tech. I've got a question uh, quickly. Uh, I'm embarrassed that I'm going to ask this, Keith, but I don't actually know the answer. So I know, what what's the name of Georgia Tech's arena now? Uh, McCavish, McCamish, something okay. like that. So, so here's the basic question that I should know the answer to because I've called tons of games in the Thriller Dome over the years. Is this uh, a brand new arena? And I know it's been open a couple of years. Or did they just redo the Thriller Dome? And I'm embarrassed I don't know the answer to that.
2: Well, the, the answer is both. In that, uh, you'll recall that the uh, arena looks like a, a coffee cup upside down.
1: Yeah, Alexander Memorial Coliseum, uh, yep. if you didn't want or to call a it bowl. the thriller dome. Yeah,
2: yep. a bowl upside down. Well, there are 18 support beams that uh, are kind of curved, kind of like the bottom of, a, of an old-timey boat turned upside down. So they tore this structure all the way down to those 18 beams and then rebuilt it. Okay. So um, I I guess it's a completely new building, but with a little bit of the old left over.
1: Okay. Thank you for clarifying because I didn't know the answer to that. And we're in this era in Atlanta sports right now where the Braves have a new stadium, the Falcons have a new stadium, they're going to redo the Hawks, uh, you know, going to dress that up, and it's they've just got money, apparently, uh, in every pocket you turn in Atlanta, especially with the Falcons going to the Super Bowl to just build new stadiums, but I wasn't sure about that. Well, well
2: they, they certainly have, seem to have a little bit of an unlimited budget, that's for sure. All
1: right, so there is a lot to talk about and digest, as there always is on the front row. Uh, big news on the baseball front, the Knowles picked this morning to win the ACC, also nationally ranked as high as number two according to baseball america which from my experience with college baseball that's the one that typically is least likely to inflate fsu's ranking so we'll get into that later in the show the super bowl is set and Devonte freeman uh is headed there and that is good news and i'm sure you're in the middle of the super bowl hysteria in atlanta but let, let's start with basketball keith because uh the knolls play a big one tonight at seven o'clock and lo and behold they're up to number six in the polls and if you paid any attention to the college basketball landscape last night, you know that number one lost, and number two lost, and number four lost, and so here we have number six, Florida State, that's probably two wins away from being in the top five, maybe number three or number four in the country.
2: Agreed, and, and going up against a team in the Yellow Jackets where you just don't know what you're going to get. Recall this is a team that beat North Carolina earlier this year, but then has lost uh, a couple of ball games of late. And uh, so you just don't quite know what you're going to get when you take the court. But it is an interesting time frame, given the fact, as you mentioned, that those uh, uh, higher-ranked teams have lost in the last day or so. So, you know, who knows? I think the one thing Coach Hamilton would remind all of us is that uh, it's one game at a time. Uh, they're focused on tech and all that other stuff will take care of itself.
1: Well, so there's two ways to look at it, and the truth, as I like to say, is always in the middle on this, Keith. But if your glass is half full all the way, you've got the blinders on and you think FSU's never going to lose again in men's basketball this year because they've got 11 games left. Only two of them are against ranked opponents, uh, so they're just going to breeze. And then if you go the other way, you look at it and say, yeah, they had a great stretch against those six ranked teams, but most of those games were at home, and most of those opponents were at least one player short as it worked out. Uh, including Duke, including Carolina, including Virginia Tech, including Louisville the other day. So, again, the truth is probably in the middle. I don't know what the reasonable expectation is for these three road games right now, but FSU has 11 games remaining. Seven of them are on the road, so you've got to get through this three-game road stretch, and then you'll be at eight games remaining, four home and four on the uh, the road. So what's sort of your take as you get set to broadcast tonight's game about what to expect over this stretch?
2: Well, I, I'm kind of taking them in chunks. In other words, I'm looking at the next three games on the road, uh, Tech and then Syracuse, uh, and then um, I haven't even looked for another Miami. Miami? Miami next yeah. week, yeah. Um, and, and you say, all right, you got three games on the road, back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Could, could we go two and one? And what would that look like? And then you reset, and then you start looking forward after that, you know, who do you got, when you got them, that type of thing, and just kind of break it down that way. Now, again – Coaching staff and the kids at Florida State will tell you it's one game at a time, but I I would uh, raise my sights just a little bit and kind of look at it in uh, little chunks. And I think it's a reasonable expectation that uh, that this team could go two and one on this road trip. And uh, you know, you're still right in the middle of everything.
1: Keith Jones, Tom Block, with you on the front row. If it sounds a little different, that's because we're not side by side. I miss you, partner. He's in uh, in Atlanta. Uh, I'm, I'm
2: happy to be side by side now that my chair has been raised
1: yeah up. exactly you're you're uh, well i was going to say you're on a throne but that's not a good mental image for radio so that's probably not right not, now
2: not yeah. right now no don't go that
1: route tim Linnefelt, our seminoles.com insider is also in atlanta for tonight's uh Georgia tech fsu game and he'll join us uh next segment the football schedule came out yesterday and i just want to alert everybody that uh, not only will you and i and tim get into that but michael strickland from the atlanta coast conference is going to join us later in the show and uh i'll have to look up his former to- title it's either uh, associate commissioner or assistant commissioner and i'll get that straight before we welcome on the show but uh in Lay's- layman's terms he's the guy who puts together the schedule so uh,
2: well he has another title too what's that he's paul johnson's new bestest friend
1: and why is that
2: well if you've not read anything about what the georgia tech folks think about their schedule <laughs> in football then uh you haven't read the Atlanta paper this morning.
1: Well, I haven't and I to be fair, I've only really digested Florida State's schedule. So what is I haven't looked at what did Georgia Tech get stuck with?
2: Well, what they're complaining about is an inordinate amount number of uh games that they play in which their opponent has an open week the week before they play Georgia Tech. Gotcha. Well, that's now, ironically ironically over the last three or four years, whatever the comparison was, I didn't memorize it. Georgia Tech has had 10 opponents who had open weeks before they played them, and the one other school in the ACC has had the same number, Florida State.
1: Well, and really it's not whether the opponent has an open week, it's whether both schools have an open week. But that's sort of one of the things, that that's one of the reasons I invited Michael Strickland on.
2: Exactly. Is to exactly. say,
1: how do you balance all the schools' requests? Because Georgia Tech wants one thing, FSU wants another, Miami wants another. So that'll be the gist of that conversation. So we'll save the football talk for down the line. I do want to ask you this, Keith, because you sit courtside next to Gene and watch all these games, and it's been a tremendous run. But Dwayne Bacon is lacking confidence right now when he goes to the basket. And to me, it really stems from a couple of games in a row where he got whistled for probably four, might have been as many as six, offensive fouls, i.e. charges going to the rim. And you can see it in his eyes right now, and it takes away a lot of what Dwayne Bacon does. And who he is. So, how does he get that confidence back? Because he's not the same player if he's going to be gun shy going to the rim.
2: Well, and for clarification, you were right in that it's been six times. It was three in one game and three in another game. Six charge calls against Dwayne. And that is a huge part of his game. His ability to go into the crowd, go into people. You know, he stands six foot seven, he's kind of powerfully built, he's got great leaping ability. To go in and make that body contact and, and, and feel that contact and then contort and twist and still maintain the ability to keep his eye on the rim, use the backboard as necessary, is a huge part of his game. And, and I haven't had this specific conversation with anybody, but in, in direct answer to your question, my personal opinion, you just keep doing it. Uh, in other words, you, you forget about what's happened in the past. You continue to do what you're used to doing. If they call the foul, then we'll make another decision a game or two down the road. Hard for a youngster to do, but that would be my advice if I'm whispering in his ear.
1: Well, because it makes a difference. I mean, for him personally, to me, it's a stretch that he's got to battle through and, and get that confidence back, and he'll get there. But it does change who this FSU team is. I mean, part of the reason that Isaac has emerged is just that Isaac's that good. But it's also that Bacon, I don't want to say disappeared because that's not fair at all. With I mean, he's still scoring 12 or 15 points. But he's not been the go-to guy the way other guys have had to, uh, have stepped up of late. And, and for Florida State to ultimately succeed, he's got to get back to being Dwayne Bacon.
2: Well, the only thing I would disagree or temper with is it's a, it's a fine balance between being unselfish,, you know, and, and being willing to take a back seat and let the youngster perform. And and continuing to do that which the team needs, and and that's a tightrope that that Bacon has to walk. And uh, you're exactly right, though. Florida State's going to need him to be aggressive uh, more than being selfless uh, if they want to go deep into the tournament.
1: Well, the Syracuse game, and not to look too far ahead, but with the matchup zone they play, you know, you can you can use a guy like PJ Savoy to shoot him out of the zone, or you can get Bacon in the high post. Uh, and beat the zone that way so that might be a game where really Florida State does lean on Dwayne against the Syracuse team that hasn't been as good defensively and hasn't been as good period as what they typically are what are your thoughts on this matchup tonight though Georgia Tech at home beat North Carolina earlier this year Uh, they've got a new coach who's done a good job and and turned some heads quite frankly in the early going I don't know what to expect in terms of turnout or effort or all those sorts of things from Georgia Tech against the number six FSU team
2: And that becomes the $64,000 question, Tommy. I don't know either because, again, you look at tape on this Georgia Tech team, you go back and read the game summaries, and you listen to what other people said in their post-game comments about playing them, you just don't really know which team you're going to get. They've got a huge, huge presence in the middle with their center, number 45, Lombeers, I think is his name. He can be as dominant as he wants to be. Uh, they, they don't shoot the three-ball often. Uh, they're not a perimeter team in that regard, but they do shoot the ball relatively well, and they play really good defense. Now, they're not a Virginia uh, in terms of their defensive prowess, but they will make you work. They will make you take that shot clock down. They will not let you get out in transition. Your half-court offense is going to have to be much better than maybe it's been in the last couple of games uh, if you're going to stay with these guys, because they'll just they'll just wear you down in terms of making you rotate, reverse, and, and try to get the ball inside. Once you do, they got the big guy in there that kind of takes up space and is the the proverbial rim protector and all that. He he's, he's amongst the top ten in the country in the shot blocks. I think he averages about three and a half a game. So you know when you do get in there, you've got to be very careful about what you do with the ball, or he's going to send it right back at you.
1: Is Angola Rodas out again tonight?
2: He did not have the boot on when we were traveling uh, yesterday evening. Uh, I've not heard officially, uh, but I would assume uh, by that mere fact that he may be available, yes.
1: All right. Well, I I guess my service to the Florida State community for tonight would be one to say – temper expectations just a little bit. It's okay to, to think about this team potentially being a Final Four team because it is if everything goes right and you play well. I mean, they've got depth, athleticism, talent, all that. But you're also in the ACC, and, and I don't know how realistic it is to think that Florida State is going to run the table 11 straight ACC games here. So, yes, could they be a, top, a number one seed? Yeah. Could they win the ACC regular season? Certainly. Could they make the Final Four? Certainly. To me, more realistic uh, that we should be happy if they end up a, a top three or four national seed get a buy, a double buy in the ACC tournament. You know, you're finishing the top two or three of the league and you just see where it goes. Uh,
2: well, I think to echo that, two other points. Number one, you're coming off a of six-game gauntlet, as it's been called, in which you have played. You have played at a very high level. You can't expect 31, 32, 33 games at that same level. Uh, there, there has to be a drop-off somewhere. Will we'll tonight be that night? And number two, uh, Gene and I were talking uh, over dinner last night, and who would have thunk it? Here's a stat for you that just shows you how crazy the ACC is this year. Duke is three and four in league action.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's three games behind FSU right now going into play tonight.
2: And we're, we're just at halfway through the regular season.
1: Did you see what Louisville did to Pitt last night, by the way?
2: 55 points, I believe, the largest margin of defeat for Pittsburgh since 1906 when they got beat. I think it was 91-13 to or something. They yeah. made four that, And that might
1: have been they John Heisman four- coaching that Georgia Tech team that beat them that bad. I'm not sure.
2: Might have been. But they made four baskets in the first half.
1: Yeah, that that, that's not going to get it done. Uh, it might have worked in the pre-shot clock era, but it's not going to work in today's game so much.
2: All right. Well, Tim... not only that. Think, think about the fact how pissed off. Excuse my language, but yeah, this Louisville is a, this was. is a family
1: show here. KJ, <laughs> watch it
2: now. Just because how think about how annoyed Louisville must have been at losing to Florida State to come out and do that pit.
1: Yeah, you're right about that. I mean, that was an impressive showing. Tim Linnefelder Seminoles.com Insider will join us next segment. Uh, I do need to point out, Keith, you may not even be aware, but uh, our good friends at Madison Social, they they step up their game every week, and now they are collaborating with Proof, and they're creating their own beer. There's going to be a Madison Social Ale, and I'm not sure when that comes out. Well, that out. just
2: disappoints the heck out of me.
1: Why is that? Because <laughs> you
2: know, I, I, I don't care to drink beer at all, as you well Hashtag
1: know. sarcasm. I missed that. That didn't translate over the phone line. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and by the way, Centrale, we mentioned this uh, previously, this is the uh, Saturday night where they've got the mozzarella-making class, uh, two of them on tap Saturday evening. Uh, your price of admission, if you can still get in, is you got to buy a wine or a wine cocktail, uh, and then they'll teach you. I, I don't think they're going to give you all the proprietary stuff about the secret ingredients or whatnot, but they'll, they're will they going to teach how, you. How do
2: they make it come out and look like a fish stick? That's what I want to know.
1: <laughs> well, if you go to the class on Saturday, you'll be in Syracuse. So when you get back from Syracuse, go straight to Madison Social or Centrale, and uh, maybe you can learn that little lesson. We'll
0: step aside come back.
1: We are just uh, getting warmed up here on the front row. Stay with us.
0: front row with tom block and keith jones is presented by hobson chevrolet of cairo georgia get your best deal the hobson way here's tom and keith
1: that sound can only mean one thing as we welcome you back and that is florida state is still rolling right along i mean Good news on the baseball front with the preseason prognostications. The basketball team is cruising. The football schedule is favorable. The women's team is tearing it up. Life continues to be good for Florida State as we go back to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And that hotline is hot today because not only is Keith Jones on it from Atlanta, but our very own Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, uh, joins us from Atlanta as well. Gentlemen, Tim, how you doing? i'm doing great tom how are you good just for the sake of our listeners since you're both traveling with the florida state basketball team for tonight's game you're not like sitting next to each other at the hotel restaurant or whatever as we talk right
3: no i thought we would be that's what i thought the plan was but no through a miracle of modern technology i think Keith or, Keith and i are probably no no more than i don't know 50 or 100 feet apart than right now but instead of sitting next to each other we're, we're sending these signals into a satellite in space somewhere that are getting beamed down you know a a few feet away from each other so we're really taking advantage of all the all the modern technology available there's a hundred thousand russian people that don't
2: have their satellite tv right now is what he's saying
1: yeah well so the (laughs) front so the front row uh, as big as it typically is is even bigger in the particular case of today uh tim keith keith and i talked mainly uh basketball um in our first segment, and so we'll start there. What's, what's your thoughts on what you expect to see from Florida State tonight against Georgia Tech?
3: Well, I'm really curious to, to see what Florida State comes out and does against Georgia Tech tonight. I think they should win pretty comfortably. Uh, even I, I thought you know, 10 or 15 points, uh, and maybe even more than that before less than that, assuming that they play the way they're capable of and, and Georgia Tech can, kind of continues to do, what we've seen from them this season. But that said, I do think it's a, a different challenge for Florida State than, than what we've seen over the last month or so. Look, I'm not saying it's more difficult than playing six straight games against six ranked opponents, but in a weird way, you know, it's easy to be locked in and, and focused at practice. It's easy to take your opponent seriously when it's Duke or North Carolina or Notre Dame or Louisville. But now, fresh off that stretch, which I think we can all describe as a complete and total success, can you maintain that same level of focus and intensity when you're going on the road to an opponent that has struggled at times this season? So, uh, to me, it's just a sign of, of maturity uh, if they're able to do that because they certainly shouldn't have any trouble with Georgia Tech, but if, if they're not able to, to play at the level that they did over that, that six-game run that they just finished, then it could get a little uncomfortable.
1: Well, one thing I would take is a, a good sign, and Keith, you were at these games is that uh, though? There's only been a couple of true road games this year against Virginia and North Carolina. Uh, this isn't a team that backed down or seemed intimidated from it. Uh, and and you know when you look at a personality like what C.J. Walker has as a freshman, for example, I, I you know a lot of times uh, you know younger teams maybe they go away from home and and the stage is too big because it's too hostile. I think this team feasts on it.
3: No, I yeah, agree with I do. you. Okay.
2: I agree with you, Tom. I think, particularly the youngsters, uh, they don't—they don't have a fear factor. Uh, maybe maybe it'll come. Maybe they—they'll—they're naive and and or ignorant, and at some point they'll realize what the stage really is. But <clears throat> this has been a team that has not shown any any propensity to back down from anything, Tim. I, I mean, they—they they are relentless.
3: Certainly, and and you know, look, just because they have uh, the number six ranking now. Uh, which is again, it's a good thing, but it's not as if you're talking about a situation where it's a Duke or even a Virginia, a, a program that is used to that national ranking and used to those types of accolades. So I think it might be a little bit easier to keep the proper mindset. You know, you know, Leonard Hamilton wants to dig into that that underdog, nobody believes in us mindset. You heard Dwayne Bacon say it after the game against Louisville the other day, and nobody nobody thought we would be here. Nobody believed we'd be in this position. It's like, well, you know, I don't. No, nobody picks you to finish last in the ACC there but that's kind of you know the, the mindset that you want to adopt and so while Florida state has has been uh, you know we're seeing national rankings and, and attention that hasn't been around here in you know 25 years in some respects I think for some of the players you can still kind of keep that mindset that you're you're on the outside looking in because you haven't been that way uh, you haven't been on the inside in such a long time um, now what I'm really curious to see is what the crowd's like at Georgia Tech tonight, you know, it's one thing if it's, a, if it's a Duke or a North Carolina or, you know, wouldn't the traditional heavyweights. Uh, is this going to be a, a typical, what you'd expect to see, road game fitting of, a, of a, a team that could potentially be in the top five? Is it Georgia Tech, or, you know, is their student section going to turn out? Is it going to be a full house? Uh, you know, we were, uh, my buddy Lane and I were talking, to Lane and her were talking this morning. If, if Georgia Tech were to win the game tonight, is, is that a situation where, their students would storm the court. Would it be the first time anybody's ever stormed the court against Florida State? Not to say that that's what, what's going to happen or that's something, you know, you're looking for, but it's just kind of an interesting thought that it's such a different world for Florida State basketball. Uh, and I don't think we know exactly what it, what it looks like yet.
1: I, I really hate that you brought up the storming the court example, Tim, because last time I was at Georgia tech, there was a kick six involved and the field was stormed <laughs> and, and I exited very quickly uh, upon seeing the events unfold there. So now,
2: remember that was a different game though as' a different game, Tommy they it, play that one with a different ball.
1: That's true. that's true. I just uh haven't been privileged enough to be at a lot of uh, fSU games over the years i I probably have a uh I guess you'd call it a bottom ten list of when the opponent has rushed the field because i've I've been there at about all the ACC venues where it's happened. <laughs> that's a nice segue though as we you know since we since we brought up the other sport with the different size ball. Uh, let's talk football a little bit. And, uh, Keith, you can save some of your thoughts. I'll, I'll, I'll get them next segment uh, with you. But, Tim, my my initial reaction when I saw the schedule come out yesterday was all things considered pretty favorable for FSU. What about yours?
3: I agree. It's about as, as well as you could ask. Uh, a schedule that is really difficult, uh, in my opinion, to shake out. But we already knew that it was going to be tough. Uh, and anytime you play both national finalists as well as the Heisman Trophy winner all in the same year, I don't know if there's any team in the country that's going to be able to say that. But, you know, the only thing that jumps out to me is as well positioned as, as that bye week is between the Wake Forest and, and Duke games, you know, it would have been nice to be able to have that before a Clemson or, or even a Louisville. But uh, all things considered, having it sort of at the, at the midway point of the season, I think the, the players will probably be happy with that as well uh so i thought, thought having miami that early was interesting i don't know if saw, uh, and i don't know if anybody else is even interested in this but uh it's, it's the earliest florida state will meet miami in a game that's not a season opener since 1972 so uh that one that one falls pretty early and i think if you're florida state you probably prefer that uh going on the road for miami uh breaking in a new quarterback uh week three at florida state that's that's going to be a pretty big test for them so uh, i think that that works in the fsu's favor but it, it's, a, it's a difficult stretch you know you talk Alabama, of course, in week one, you come home for ULM, and then you have maybe your two, well two or your three toughest Atlantic Division opponents in my, or excuse me Atlantic Coast Conference opponents in, in Miami and NC State, both of whom gave full state difficult times last year. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of see what this team is. We'll see what the team is made of uh, with the Alabama game, but I think in terms of the ACC, you'll get a better impression of, of what to expect by, uh, by the end of September.
1: Yeah, one thing that struck me when I compared it to last year's schedule, which obviously was front loaded, top heavy, choose your term, you know, going into the bye week, Florida State's defense had had been abysmal and probably ranked, I don't know, seventy-fifth or eightieth in the country, and so everybody was ready to be done with Charles Kelly, and then you play the full year, and it turns out that the defense, especially when you adjust it with the metrics, was like what, number fifteen in the country last year. So this year they're gonna play those five games. Alabama, uh, you know, which is not is known for its defense, not its offense. Then you're going to have Louisiana Monroe. Then you're going to have Miami with a new quarterback. Then you're going to have NC State. And it, it, though they've given FSU fits, that it hasn't come in Tallahassee of late. No. And then you're going to have Wake that's been offensively challenged. So you're potentially going to go into the bye week, and it's going to be the exact opposite this time around. That defense is going to be sitting at number six in the country with some of the best offenses still to come, just to, you know, so that you don't have the storylines get in front of the season. I, I can just already see that one unfolding this year the way it plays out.
3: Going to be a lot of what's different about the defense this season, versus really it's just you didn't have to play, you know, Lamar Jackson in Week Three, so that, that could have something to do with it. And look, you know, getting those games under the belt, is, is, I do, I, do say, I, I agree with you. They're probably going to be off to a really good start and probably ranks pretty highly in some different categories. but that doesn't mean necessarily that, that it won't be legitimate. It just means you know you get those first few weeks of the season to kind of come together. Everybody learn their roles uh, and, and you know make some improvements over the, the first third or so of the season. And last year's group. didn't
1: have a chance to do that all right let's jump to baseball real quick Tim while we're talking because the ACC preseason pick came out for baseball and FSU was tabbed to win the ACC this year earlier this week the thing that really I'll use the word startled here on this one because if you follow college baseball there's 112 polls that come out every week it's not like football where you've narrowed it down to a couple so you have collegiate baseball and perfect game and USA Today ESPN and, and Baseball America is one that historically, to me, rates FSU lower than the other polls. And it's because they look at pro prospects to some degree in part of their criteria. So when it came out that Baseball America is picking FSU number two nationally, my eyebrows raised and said, D- I knew Florida State had a pretty good team coming back. But if Baseball America is thinking that too, maybe this really is a pretty good FSU baseball team.
3: Well, and so much for flying under the radar. Huh? I think a lot of us, after the way last year ended, as frustrating as it was to finish the season in Gainesville, you sort of looked at some of the pieces that had, particularly that pitching rotation with Drew Carlton, Cole Stan, and Tyler Holton. And then you look, you know, Cal Raleigh and Drew Mendoza coming in. They're, they're all young guys, and either they're entering into their second or third years of the program. And you look at that nucleus and you say, hey, you know, they might have a team here, they might have a real opportunity to, to make a run. But you weren't sure that anybody knew about it because Florida had had been such a the the preeminent program in the state for the last several years that had their pro prospects. So they thinking, hey, you know, maybe Florida State might be able to sneak up on some people and really have an opportunity to, to make some noise and uh, and make some things happen. Well, so much for again, so much for sneaking up on people. Now that, that there's a you know, number number two national Bank and somebody else had a number three pick to win the Atlantic Coast Conference. Uh, the, the the nation apparently has has taken note of what. Is that Fort State has a really good team uh, and a really young team, uh, and, and I think the exciting thing is, I think they're excited for both this year and next year because those guys are going to be here. Um, and so to have, I don't know, it would be a good question for eleven. Is in last time you had uh, this type of nucleus with so many uh, really second-year players, so many players who fresh freshmen last year, and uh, yeah, it's it, it's going to be uh, pretty cool to see I, I, I don't remember having this much buzz and this much optimism around the Florida State baseball team really in the wet, at least probably like the last four or five years, the last time they went to
1: Omaha. You know, the irony is that nationally they're not under the radar around the ACC, but but locally they may be because people are vested in uh, in basketball right now, the way the season's going. Tim, the women play uh, at Georgia Tech tomorrow night, I think. So That's I don't, right. Yeah, so I don't know if they'll go to the game tonight and uh, root for their counterparts or not. But uh, they're they're number six in the country. I mean, they're positioned to be a top two, maybe a top seed as well. They may have a better chance than the men, quite, quite truthfully, to, to finish as the number three or four team in the country. What do you think?
3: Yeah, I really do. And it's just kind of, I you was know, thinking about this and, and kicking around for story ideas. Like I don't know that, I mean, uh, I think you probably can verify that the basketball collectively has never been this good at Florida State with the two teams ranked number six in the country, both with opportunities to move up. I just saw the number, number one, three, and four teams in men's basketball all lost. Last night, so if Florida State can get through this week on unscathed, which is a difficult test at Georgia Tech and at Syracuse, but they can. I mean, you're looking at maybe a you know a, a top three, maybe even higher basketball team uh, on the men's side, and on the women's side. We all know what what they're capable of, and, and I think we all you know look at them and see, especially going back to that UConn game at the start of the season, but then what they've been able to do, just tearing through the, the Atlantic Coast Conference more or less, and they just just walloped a, a, a top 25 program on the road at Virginia Tech last week. Uh, you look at that group and, and you think are thinking final four and I think that's completely legitimate they were, they were just a hair away from it two years ago and I think most people who some included probably say this team uh, might have a higher uh, higher feeling than that one so uh, it, it really is a fun time to be a Florida state basketball fan and, and you know for the people out there who have been following the programs for a really long time and kind of been been living with the ups and downs uh, of the of both programs, this just has to be a you know a, a really sort of gratifying experience to watch these games and and see the progress that
1: both sides have made. No question, he is our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linoffelt. He's uh, in Atlanta for tonight's Big Men's basketball game. Keith is there as well. Keith was sort of laying low during the segment uh, just to make. Aren't a little... you
2: proud of me? Aren't I, I am. Proud of me?
1: I'm sure you were biting your tongue several times before we say goodbye to Tim. At least you know here on the radio network uh, or the radio show is there is there anything you'd like to ask him that you haven't already asked him since you guys are spending uh, a lot of time together
2: well i was just uh, i didn't get invited to breakfast this morning so i'm wondering if i've annoyed him somehow <laughs>
3: I was saving lunch for you,
1: keith. Ah. there you go <laughs> all right well you guys can uh remain chummy tim uh enjoy the game tonight uh thanks for joining us as always keith don't go anywhere because uh you're part of the show you know for the full hour so you got to stick around i hate to break that to you but you got to come back and do good. another segment all right more of the front row right after this <laughs>
0: The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith.
1: Back on the Front Row, Tom and Keith back with you. Keith uh, is in Atlanta. Obviously, you know that by now. Basketball game coming up shortly FSU and Georgia Tech, and we return to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. KJ, uh, we let Tim uh, share his thoughts on the football schedule. What about yours? When you saw it released, uh, what what jumped out to you?
2: I, w- I was amazed at how well it set up. Uh, obviously, we all know about opening with Alabama. You're going to be where I am as we speak back in Atlanta. Uh, I believe it will be the first. I know it will be the first collegiate game. I'm I'm thinking it might even be the first game played in the new uh, Mercedes-Benz Arena. I haven't checked uh, and haven't figured out the Atlanta Falcons preseason schedule, but at any rate, it'll be the first college game played in the new facility. Uh, You know that's going to be tough. Uh, Alabama always, uh, they they never uh, have to rebuild. They just reload. But but actually, as has been said, this is why you come to Florida State to play in games like that. Uh, Louisiana, Monroe after that, and then you play Miami. And, and as Tim talked about, the earliest that you've played the Hurricanes in some 30 or 40 years, unless you were playing them to, to open up the season, Miami will be breaking in a new quarterback. Uh, they've had a, a few of their underclassmen, juniors, that have left. Here's the, I think f- that-
1: Here's the footnote to that. Let me jump in real quick, KJ. Florida State will have played Alabama and at home. Miami will have played Bethune, Cookman, and at Arkansas State. So their well, quarterback... Yeah, their quarterback will come into Doak having played Bethune and Arkansas State.
2: And that's exactly where I was going. In one sense, you would look at that and say, well, Miami will have three weeks to get ready for Florida State. But by the same token, they won't have played anybody. They won't know anything about themselves. Uh, So that'll be an interesting dynamic. As you mentioned, you get NC State at home, uh, and then Wake and Duke sandwiched around the open week. And you never know what's going to happen with Wake or Duke, particularly both of them on the road. And I'll remind our fans, that that Duke trip might be a trip you want to take because Wallace Wade will be almost finished with the renovation. You know, they're spending a ton of money uh, on Wallace Wade stadium up in Durham. Uh, and then of course, Louisville comes in, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, that'll be interesting. And then, you know, the rest of the schedule plays out. The one thing that is uh, interesting also to me, as it relates to, uh, and you're involved in this, uh, with your employment at university and, we get uh, folks talking to us all the time about it, but three consecutive home games early in the season. I hope I hope the merchants and the hoteliers and those folks in Tallahassee uh, are able to take full advantage of that. That's going to be neat.
1: Well, and the, the first two games, which will be weeks two and week three of the season, the kickoff times will be set on those probably June-ish or so. So we'll know ahead of time what time those games are. It makes it a little easier to to plan for those, whereas the others will turn into 13-day or potentially six-day holds. Uh, Michael Strickland from the ACC, who uh, handles the scheduling for the Atlantic Coast Conference, is going to join me next segment, so we'll get into a little bit more of that. Yeah, I think overall, I mean, you're never going to be 100% on board with the schedule, but I like it. And even when you look at the open week, I know on the surface you'd say you don't want an open week before Duke but if your open week is before Louisville or Clemson i can guarantee you that the league would have also given Louisville or Clemson an open week. And in this case, you get an open week before Duke. Duke doesn't have an open week ahead of time. Uh and Louisville will if Louisville has to play 9 straight weeks to open the season and FSU is week 8 of that. Whereas right. FSU will have had an open week, a Duke game and Louisville. So i i mean i i i just i'm having trouble finding fault with much of it that it's on there's no Thursday night games. I know some people don't want to play Friday, but it's in the television contract. And if you're going to play one or the other, FSU is going to sign up for Friday every year instead of Thursday.
2: Well, and, and I don't know. I've never had this specific conversation with Jimbo or, or with, with Stan. But if you're going to play a Friday night game, I would prefer to play it away uh, unless you have a situation like we did uh, this past season where it was a holiday. Um, I'd rather play that game on the road on a Friday night and, and, and keep my regular scheduling for everything else that goes on in Tallahassee intact. And, uh, and of course, the, the, the one thing we haven't talked about as we get to the end of it is that uh, November 14th, excuse me, November 11th uh, meeting with Clemson. I mean, they're going to be without Deshaun Watson, but uh, you and Tim talked about you, you opened with uh, the runner-up uh, in a national championship, and then some uh, eight, nine weeks later, ten weeks later, you're playing the defending national champion at their place, whether uh, Watson is there or not. That's going to be an electric, uh, uh, unbelievable setting, particularly that that late in the year, with two teams that, uh, if they do as they should be, you know that could be a top five matchup, top four matchup, if Clemson holds ground and Florida State doesn't stub their toe.
1: Well, in the league, the last four or five years has put the FSU-Clemson game somewhere between the last week of October and the first couple weeks of November. So, I mean, it builds the hype, the anticipation. They need to do it from a TV standpoint. I will say that I know from the university side, Keith, that they did, I don't want to say fight, but they did request a Friday night home game this year because this is the only other year for about five or six years where you could have done it. Veterans Day is actually Saturday, but the holiday will be on Friday, so the university will be closed again this year. And they could have repeated it. The attendance was decent last year for that BC game. Uh, and after this, the, the you know next year the holiday will move to a Monday, and so you'll go another five or six years before you could do it. That's it. And,
2: and that's a good point. I wasn't aware of that, so I'm glad you pointed that out. Yes, that, that, but but you know.
1: that said, and, and to be frank, uh, and athletics could speak more to this than than, than I can. But Monk Montesort, uh our dear friend who passed, was the one who really. Leaned on the ACC about scheduling particulars, and obviously Monk was battling for his life uh, when the scheduling was being done. You know, leading up to this year, and I'm not sure that FSU has has gotten the the right. I don't want to say the right person. I'm not sure that that anybody has assumed that role per se yet as they adjust to life without Monk in athletics.
2: Possibly so. Possibly so. No question.
1: Yeah, I will. Uh, I'm going to let you get going here, KJ. Uh, Michael Strickland from the ACC will join me next segment. Call a good one tonight with uh, Gino. And uh, we will be back together, reunited. We'll have to change the music uh, for that one uh, next week when you come back in the studio and uh, sit side-by-side on the shorter chair next to me, KJ.
2: Yeah, I'll work on another song. That, that that one might not fit the bill just right.
1: He is Keith Jones via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. So long, KJ, and uh, stay with us. More of the Front Row right after this.
0: The front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith.
1: And as we uh, welcome you back, let me just set the record straight. Keith uh, who has been on the line for a while is uh, obviously getting set to call a basketball game here momentarily, so Uh, I gave him the rest of the night off. I also need to thank our good friends at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. If you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener to get all your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. You can call them at 580-1200 or visit them online at ctf.nu. That said, uh, it has been a busy Earl Bacon Agency hotline today. As we return to that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, I'm really pleased to welcome in Michael Strickland from the Atlantic Coast Conference. Uh, he has uh, been with the ACC for a couple of years. He's the Senior Associate Commissioner for Football Operations. So, Michael, how are you doing?
4: Tom, I'm doing great. Hope you are this evening.
1: Yeah, doing doing terrific. Thank you for carving out a few minutes for us. I, know, uh, I don't really know when the slow time is. Uh, I know on the college athletic circuit, uh, you know, June, July, maybe there's a little bit of downtime at the conference level. I'm not sure when the downtime is, but it's certainly not in the week leading up to when the football schedule comes out. So as a starting point, when you're putting together the schedule for the ACC, uh, you know, when do you begin that process? Does this start uh, over the summer last year? Does it start late in the fall? Did it start after the bowl games? I don't really know when you start piecing it all together.
4: Well Tom, each season schedule is years in the making. Uh we work very hard in coordination with our, our fourteen institutions to make sure that their non conference games are placed in a manner that gives us as much Uh, scheduling flexibility as possible for the conference games, and and simply it's a a dynamic of even and odd. We just don't want a situation where we've got an odd number of non-conference games, say in week 12, the next to last week of the season, because an odd number of those games means that someone would have to have a bye uh, out of the remainder of of teams that do not have a game. So we work very hard, and and the schools are great to work with us collaboratively and collectively, which is in the best interest of everyone, to make sure that we've got equitable bye week uh, placement. Once we have that framework in place, we really start uh, once the season concludes after the football championship game and a a sprint, so to speak, from uh, mid-December through uh, mid-January to build out the the rotation of the conference games and and, and get to a finalized schedule that we feel most comfortable with.
1: Let me just clarify regarding what you just said about the non-conference scheduling. So are there... Are there no weeks during the season that I'll I'll call them that are holy weeks, meaning conference games only? A a team can schedule a non-conference game any Saturday of the year so long as it's been cleared through the ACC and and it winds up being an even number for that week?
4: We have a number of scheduling parameters uh, that govern our, our scheduling process, and those parameters have been refined and developed by a, by a committee of, of institutional representatives and ultimately approved by, by the athletics directors. So the way we handle non-conference scheduling is that schools may schedule non-conference games in weeks one through four or the, the final two weeks of the season. Uh, so weeks five, so in a 13-week season like this coming season is, weeks five through 11 would be those those weeks that are governed exclusively for conference play unless you know we have a non-conference game that was previously placed there before this uh, parameter was developed, or if we've got a Notre Dame game, uh, which is placed in those weeks 5 through 11, and it's in our best interest to place a, an additional non-conference game there to get balanced. Uh, Then we then we would certainly do so uh, where it makes sense for the uh, for the institution involved.
1: Well, and you mentioned Notre Dame, which has to make it even more difficult for the ACC compared to the other power five uh, leagues to do the schedule because of, uh, you know, the uh, I guess it's five games a year, a couple home, a few on the road. But I mean, that's that's another dynamic that other leagues don't have. And that's accounting for Notre Dame
4: absolutely it is uh a, a, an additional uh component of the scheduling process which which impacts you know how you go about it and your and your final product you know traditionally as we mentioned the, the majority of non-conference games would be the first 3 or 4 weeks of a season but obviously we we couldn't do that uh with Notre Dame because it would be i think next to impossible for them to complete their schedule since all of their games are are, are technically non-conference games for them they would they would not be able to complete you know a 12 game schedule if we uh, didn't have scheduling flexibility to scatter our games with them uh, throughout the the course of the season.
1: You mentioned a 13 week season uh, which you know to me means a one by week season compared to uh, some weeks you get a two or some seasons you get two by weeks and I know there's uh, there's there's talk I'm not sure what level about maybe uh, getting to a scenario where you always have two bye weeks. But as as it stands right now, what's the date on the calendar that determines whether we end up with 14 weeks or 13 weeks before the championship weekend?
4: It's a byproduct of of when Labor Day falls. And um, if you can get that, that Saturday before Labor Day, and when that falls on that August 29th through 31st range, and those are those are traditionally and typically your 14-week seasons. But if it falls in the month of September, uh, that first Saturday, then that's then that would typically be a a 13. Uh, week season and so the majority of seasons based upon the way the calendar falls are currently you know 13 week seasons as opposed to 14.
1: Right and then I'm just thinking of other components for you uh the ACC gets that Monday night Labor Day game I think I mean it seems like the league is in that window every year is it does the league own that window so to speak and if so for how long in in terms of the Monday night Labor Day game?
4: Yes, we've been very fortunate to have that exclusive slot uh, with our our relationship with ESPN for for many years now, and and for the duration of our of our television agreement. Now we have started to play some non-conference games in that window, but still uh, that that exclusively belongs to us as a as a right and benefit of our agreement with ESPN.
1: And then there's also Thursday and Friday night games. And I didn't poll the FSU fan base, but. Uh... You know, Florida State has has played a lot of Thursday night road games over the years, not always uh, with the greatest success. Uh, now of late, uh, with Friday night games, which is a different conversation about um, potentially infringing on the high school window, and some people don't like that. But uh, I would say personally, I'll take the Friday night over Thursday night any day of the year. But but how many Thursday and Friday night games does the ACC have to play each year by contract?
4: We play up to five uh, of of each. Um... So a total of, you know, maximum total of 10. Uh, but there's a little bit of flexibility with ESPN from a year-to-year basis uh, in terms of the, the exact number of Thursdays and Fridays because they've got, you know, other needs that change from year-to-year from their other conferences. So we've got up, up to 10 uh, of those games. And we work, you know, very hard uh, in the scheduling process to set up, you know, the – the, the rest uh, situation as you know, evenly as possible. You know, we try to get the buys in advance of those, those short rest games, certainly the, the Thursday games and, and to, to a, l- a little lesser degree the Friday uh, games. But if that's not possible, then both teams certainly would have equal, equal short rest uh, to make sure that both teams are, are, are treated equally heading into those Thursday and Friday games.
1: We're talking with Michael Strickland, who's the Senior Associate Commissioner of Football Operations for the Atlantic Coast Conference, and uh, appreciate him joining us on the front row. You mentioned ESPN a couple of times already. Obviously, TV drives the dollars and, and, and dictates a lot. I'm curious how much input ESPN has in the scheduling for the ACC, and is, was it even greater this time around in light of the tremendous success that the ACC enjoyed this past year?
4: No, their involvement this year was was consistent with their involvement for this is my fifth schedule that I've developed for the ACC. So they've they've been equally involved in in all five of of the schedules. You know they share a lot of information with us about you know what the rest of their schedule looks like, so we can identify which weeks and weekends in particular might be great opportunities uh, for us from a from a maximization of exposure you know perspective where uh, we think we can you know those college game day type games. that, that our schools and fans certainly you know love. We want to generate as much opportunity uh, to secure those as possible. There's, there's certain types of matchups that we're looking for for those Thursday and Friday night games. so that's really the, the scope of their in- involvement. but by no, no means do they do they or or anybody get yeah, everything they want out of the schedule, but you try to do the best you can. Uh, for all the all the different constituent groups involved.
1: Yeah, and what about, uh, you know, the constituent groups that are the individual schools? Uh, I'm sure that, that each school, uh, I don't know if request is the right word, but I'm sure that they weigh in and say, hey, we, we'd rather not play a Thursday night game or we'd like our bye week here. Uh, do you try to grant one request like that to each school? There's probably no way to do it. Or, or how do you treat those those kind of considerations?
4: Yeah, the, the request process is also outlined by our parameters, which the schools have developed uh, and, and approved at the athletic director uh, level. So we limit it to three requests per institution. They don't have to make three, but they, they're capped at three, and they rank order them one, two, and three. Uh, and on any given season, we're right around 78 to 80 percent of overall school requests met. And this year was was no different than that. 25 out of out of 32, we we were able to grant. So that's 78. You know, percent of the school requests from met, and we 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 started the, the number one. And this year, we we're able to accommodate thirteen out of the fourteen number one requests that we got, and eight out of the twelve uh, number two requests that we got. Uh, so we feel you know pretty good about our our conversion rate, so to speak, on number one and, and number two requests. But the parameters outline what types of requests those those can be. And, and generally speaking, there, you know, with the, you want to be by or away the week of fall break, or there's a religious holiday that there's a conflict um, in, in our community and we'd rather be on the road or off, uh, or we've got, you know, a venue uh, a, Booking situation for some some other venues that that aren't on a college campus where they're shared with other tenants. Those types of things are the the nature of of the requests that we that we accept.
1: So without naming names, your your inbox or your voicemail today had how many people that were pleased with their schedule and how many schools that were not.
4: Well, you because get feedback, you, have... you, you get feedback from all parts of the spectrum and, and all of it is, is welcomed and appreciated and, and, and taken into consideration for, for ways that we can improve the, the scheduling process uh, in the future. And, uh, and our athletic directors do a great job of discussing you know, almost annually what the, the scheduling parameters are and what they should be and making sure that everybody's comfortable that, that they are uh, as appropriate.
1: You've got the untenable position that no matter what you do, somebody's not going to be happy. That's why I posed that question. You know, one other one other window, and I don't know if it's an ACC window, but there's been ACC teams in it a lot. And it's the Thursday night that opens the college football season. Is that tip? Is that an ACC window by design or is that just some league schools have stepped up and said, hey, we're happy to play on that first Thursday night of the year?
4: It's an opportunity we we've tried to take advantage of as, as often as possible. It's, it's not exclusively our domain, like the like the Labor Day Monday night game that we that we spoke about you know, a moment ago. Uh, but one of the reasons we like trying to take advantage of of week one Thursday is that you don't have to worry about short rest. Uh, so if you've got you know up to five Thursday night games, if you can knock one out in week one, uh, that means your your team or teams that participate in that game are, are doing so on on an abundance of rest, and it sets them up with uh, a couple days of extra rest before they're their week two game which is often a a non-conference game so those are viewed as as advantageous opportunities to to play a non-Saturday game
1: yeah that's exactly why I asked it because I think uh you know Florida State could take advantage of the exposure and also the additional rest you're talking about there maybe in future years of course FSU a lot of times is playing these games like Alabama this year and the the big season openers I'll let you get going on this Michael and and I appreciate your time and this is a little bit different than scheduling, but. In regard to the the ACC championship game, which I know moved out of the state of North Carolina along with all the league championships because of HB two, uh, if and when uh, you know that changes, do you see the championship game going right back to Charlotte, or will there be an open bidding process and other venues considered, or, or how do you expect that to to play out uh, if there's reason to, uh, to to open North Carolina back up?
4: Well, the council of president's uh, position from September of, of 2016 was was very clear that. That our goal was to return all of our championships uh, to the state of North Carolina, Carolina as soon as possible. You know, under the under the scope of the law, we've got contracts in place specific to football with Charlotte through the 2019 season. So hopefully, the the law will be modified uh, as desired by the council of presidents, and we can you know get the game back to Charlotte, uh, where it's had a a great home for for many many years, and 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 fulfill the remaining remaining term of our of our contracts but if that's not the case you know that group that leadership group will meet you know again this this spring and and make the appropriate decisions for for the 2017 season
1: makes sense michael thanks for sharing some light uh you know shedding some light on on how this process works because uh i know Speaking for fan bases, and FSU is not one of them this year. But there's always every fan base is convinced there's a conspiracy against them in terms of how the scheduling gets done or how the officiating crews are assigned. Uh, but I mean, there's a lot of different parameters that that have to be followed and a lot of different considerations to do what you do. So we appreciate it. You're welcome, Tom. Thanks for the opportunity. All right, that is uh, Michael Strickland from the uh, the ACC. And uh, interesting when you think about all the different things you got: Thursday night games, Friday night games, Monday games you've got uh, Notre Dame, you've got TV uh, influence to some degree. Uh, But again, my two cents, you you really can't argue from a Florida State point of view with how the schedule plays out uh, for the year 2017. All right, uh, I'll come back. Some final thoughts on the front row right after this.
0: We don't need no education. We don't. The Front Row is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith.
1: and as uh i finish up keith is literally in the front row press row getting set uh, to call tonight's georgia tech fsu men's basketball game we'll be back in the satellite next week we'll talk a little bit about cam acres with a mississippi high school sports expert that's followed all the great athletes out of their course next week is signing day uh so we'll have that for you uh, i'll remind you you should subscribe to uh the podcast of the front row via itunes you can also find each week's show uh in the audio vault on ESPN, com. That said, uh, we're out of time for this week. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with uh, Michael Strickland from the ACC, our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Lennefeld and, of course, KJ. We will talk to you again next week. So long, everybody.